0: Well, hello again. Uh, greetings from the UK, from Bedford, where it's very sunny at the moment. Uh, in fact, if my eyes start watering today, it's either the Holy Spirit or it could be pollen, one or the other. Uh, but either way, greetings uh, from me. Uh, again, if you didn't get to meet me the last time I spoke, my name's Phil Wilfiu. I'm part of the King's Arms church in Bedford in the UK and uh, we have been firm, lifelong friends with King's Church Wellington for numbers of years now and it's just a great uh, uh, privilege for me to be able to share a few words that I hope will encourage you today. And this message is called Partnering with God in a time of promise. Partnering with God in a time of promise. And if you've got a Bible you might like to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 And we are going to read some uh, words of a very familiar story in just a few moments. But before we get there, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you realize that you're praying for something that God has already done. And I would suggest to you that there are moments where we need to stop pleading for something and start partnering with something that God has already done. He's already answering. There's that fabulous prophetic scripture in Isaiah 60 that just says, arise and shine for your light has come. Past tense. And the, 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 the prophet is prophesying that we should do something in response to what God has already started to do in the earth. Arise and shine because the light has come. And I want to suggest to you that you and I are living in, in extraordinary days where God is pouring out blessing in a way that we have been praying for for decades and decades, he is doing it already. And the question in our day and in our age is, how can I partner with what God has already begun to do? Sometimes we're still asking him for stuff that he's already begun to do. Let me just, for example, share with you some things that I hope will be an encouragement to you as a Christian living in the times that we do. There have two recent reports brought out, uh, one by the Gordon Cornwall Theological Seminary in the US and another set of reports that were uh, published by the Pew Research Center looking at the global trends of Christianity. And according to the Pew Research Center, from the year 1960 to the year 2000, the global number of Christians grew three times the world population rate. So in the year 1900, one in every 28 people on the earth would have said that they were a Christ follower. Now is one in every four people on our planet. Well over two billion people now profess the name of Jesus. Also, we know this, that Christianity across the world is now growing five times the rate of atheism. The rate of atheists across the planet is declining and the rate of people coming to Christ is growing five times the rate of atheism. It's predicted that by the year 2050, over three billion people on planet Earth will be Jesus followers. We know as well that more people have converted from Islam to Christianity in the last century than at any other time in human history. So for example, in uh, South Korea, 2% of the population were Christ followers in 1945. That is now 30% of the nation say they follow Jesus. In Indonesia, in just 40 years, they've gone from 1.3 million believers to 11 million believers. There's an estimated 100 million believers in China, and that is probably a very, very conservative estimate. Also, the Wycliffe Bible Society say that by the year 2042, a year that numbers of us will see, we will make it there, the Bible will have been translated into every single heart language on the planet. That's amazing, within our lifetime, the Bible will be able to read in people's own language in just a little over 20 years time. We also know that the, the Jesus movie has now been shown in over a thousand different languages around the world, resulting in 200 million responses to the gospel. Yeah, 200 million responses to the gospel as it's been shown. It's estimated in China alone that some 30,000 people come to Christ every single day. The things we prayed for, God is doing around the world. He's doing extraordinary things around our planet right now. And just, you know, amazing stories at an individual level as well. A friend of mine was taking a team from America to some Kurdish, Iraqi refugee camps and he and his team were going to share about Jesus with refugees, people who were very poor, uh, uh, in desperate need, and they were going to share Jesus, and many of them coming from a, a kind of a moderate Muslim background. But what they discovered is as they walked into the uh, Kurdish Iraqi refugee camps is that Jesus had got there before them. And over 200 people on the refugee camp had had the same experience where at night they had seen a man walking in white, walking dressed in white, walking through the campsite. And they began to follow this man through the campsite, who then revealed that his name was Jesus. I mean, extraordinary stories. Another man told of his encounter as he was captured by Islamic extremists, and they were torturing him that he would recant his new Christian faith. But he said, I cannot do that. I cannot turn aside from Jesus. And so they began to douse him in gasoline, in petrol. And they put over a litre of gasoline on his body and then struck a match to try and light his body to set him on fire. But but the, the, the gasoline wouldn't catch fire. And so they poured more, gasoline on him they tried again it wouldn't catch fire they tried a third time with more and more gasoline on his body and oil and still the match would not light this man's body and eventually exasperated his captors let him go a man who stood courageously in the face of torture god is doing incredible things on our planet and i could literally tell you story after story of how God is breaking in, in sometimes the most surprising circumstances. Uh, Another church plant that we're connected to in the Middle East, uh, one lady was on her rooftop, just reading the Quran, on her flat rooftop, when uh, in the middle of the day, and suddenly a big gust of wind blew the book out of her hand and off the balcony, the Quran fluttered down and landed with a thud on the floor down below. And in that moment, not only uh, for a a Muslim reading the Quran, that is a, a sacrilege for that to happen. But in that split second that she thought, oh no, she heard from next door, the neighbor playing worship music to Jesus, playing worship songs. And she said in a flash, I thought, oh no. But also I thought, I believe in Jesus. And she gave her life to Christ right there and then on her own in an encounter with God on her rooftop. I tell you, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, God can find you. So we are living in extraordinary days. And I guess one of the questions I ask is, how can I partner with what God is already doing? How can I put my hand in his and grab hold of his coattails and cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is already doing in our day? And so I wanna suggest three ways that we can partner with God. And we're gonna use the story of David and Goliath as a bit of a launch pad for these three lessons, how we can partner with God in a time of promise. And so in 1 Samuel 17, here's the first lesson we learn about partnering with God. Number one, we have to learn to be faithfully present where God has placed us. And as we approach 1 Samuel 17, you'll know the story very well. Uh, David is a young man, he's a shepherd boy. He's the youngest in his family. He's been overlooked by his father and his brothers. And really he is looking after the sheep at home, learning to worship in private, follow God in private. And then one day he is sent by his father to the front lines of battle between Israel and Philistine. And this is what we read about that day. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 17. One day Jesse said to his son David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. David's brothers were with King Saul and the Israelite army at the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. Let's just pause there. Here's the first lesson about partnering with God in the time of promise. You've got to be faithfully present where God has placed you. And what we know about David is that he already had a promise from God that he would one day be the future King of Israel. Just one chapter before, Samuel the prophet had anointed him to be the future king. But how many of you know that between the promise and the outcome, there is a process. And David is right in the middle of that process. He's standing between the giving of the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. And in that gap, while he's waiting for the promise, he makes cheese sandwiches for his brothers. That's what he does. That was his role, that was his part in the story at this moment in time was to be faithfully present where God had placed him which meant making cheese sandwiches for the guys and taking it to the front line of the army. And here's here's the reality that we know from scripture that future dreams are always anchored in faithful stewardship. Future dreams are always anchored in faithful stewardship. If we will look after the promises that God gives us and live faithfully in the present, then the promises are enabled to come about in our lives. Faithfulness is such a key principle in the kingdom. And it's one of the ways that we can partner with God in the present is be faithful where God has placed you. Do something with what he's given you now. Don't just be a dreamer looking into the future. Also live for Christ where he's placed you great illustration of this, I remember when we were trying to move house to Bedford from the northeast of England, and it was a huge jump in house prices, over a £100,000 difference to buy a house that was smaller in Bedford than we had in the northeast of England. And so we didn't have much money, to be honest. And I remember one day God gave my wife a promise, and he said, if you will give me £300, I will give you 30000 if you give me 300, I'll give you 30,000. And you know, 300 was about everything that we had actually. And so a gift day at church came around and we thought, well, let's just be faithful with what God has given us. He's given us 300 pound. He's given us cheese sandwiches. We'll offer what we have in this moment. And we gave it, we gave it with faith with a little bit of nervous laughter and a bit of worship. Uh, But we gave what we had. And then over the course of the next two years, as we added up later, we got given over £30,000 worth of money to help us buy a house. God was faithful because we'd been good stewards of what he'd given us. And that's how it works in the kingdom. Ultimately, we become a voice in our communities. We become a voice in the nation when we just faithfully keep showing up. And sometimes innovation can be the enemy of progress. Sometimes we can be so fixated on a new idea that we forget just to do the simple things well and keep showing up and keep loving people and keep sharing Christ and keep being kind and keep being faithful and loyal and punctual and attentive and interested in people. Just the simple things of life sometimes can go an awful long way if we just faithfully keep doing them in people's lives. You know, I know in our own town, one of the things that has given us greatest amount of influence in our town is the fact that for over 30 years, we have been housing the poor. We've been housing the homeless. We have been serving the least and the last in our community. And our church actually got birthed in a ministry to the homeless. And to this day, our homeless shelter and our outreach to rough sleepers just continues apace. And that one fact that we have just kept showing up for the least and the last, that every single day of the year, we open our doors to the poor, that now has led to influence. And so, for example, our CEO of our project has just been headhunted by the government to help them look at national policies for homelessness in the nation. How does that happen? You just keep showing up. You know, the mayor of our town listens to us as a church. Why? because we've served the least and the last. We just kept showing up and being faithful. Faithfulness goes an awful long way. You know, Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse one. He says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Notice that Paul is not asking them to do anything new, he's just asking them to do more of what they're already doing. Because he understands faithfulness inherits the promises. And that's exactly what we see in David. He is faithful even to the menial task of delivering a cheese sandwich. But I'm the the future king of Israel. Who am I to deliver cheese sandwiches? Someone should be making me sandwiches. That that is not David's mentality. He humbly serves. He gets low and he lives in the present moment that God has given him. And here's the truth. There are opportunities for the gospel every single day. In the ordinary things of life, if we will look for the opportunities, they will present themselves. You know, my friend was going to the dentist and as she was sitting there having her teeth done, she felt God start to speak to her for her dentist. And uh, so between kind of, fillings and cleanings, she said to a dentist, you're about to get married, aren't you? And he looked at her, he said, yeah, I am. She said, uh, yeah, and you're you're going somewhere very hot for your honeymoon, aren't you? He's like, yeah, I am. And she said, and you've just bought your future wife a new pair of shoes and they look like this. At which point he stops looking after her teeth and he says, hang about. He said, how do you know all these things about me? And she said, well, I just started to listen to Jesus and he started to speak things to me for you. He really wants to encourage you today. And she just simply began to share Jesus. Listen, the opportunities are there if you're just faithful and show up with readiness, the the, the feet that are fitted with the readiness of the gospel. And, you know, if God can show up in the dentist chair, he can show up anywhere. Amen. So here's how you partner number one, be faithful. Lesson number two, we got to be prophetically alert, prophetically alert. Here's what we read in verse 24 in our story. As soon as the Israelite army saw Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked, he comes out each day to defy Israel. And the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? And who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Here's the second key thing about partnering with God in a time of promise is we've got to learn to be prophetically alert to the sound that is actually coming from God's mouth. David in this moment encounters a a camp and an army that is full of fear that the corporate mood of the Israelite army is one of terror and fright and dismay. They are as a company, even though they're battle hardened soldiers, they are running away from one man just because he's quite tall. And the corporate mood in the area is is, is not one of faith, it's one of gloom, it's one of fear. They are seeing the giant and he is magnified in their thinking. All they're aware of is the impossibility of their situation. That is the corporate mood. It's pessimism and it's thumb sucking and it's self pity. And David walks into the midst of this atmosphere and somehow his head is in a completely different stratosphere to everybody else. He is like, what are you guys talking about? Who is this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God? His head is going to be mine by the end of the day. David's perspective is completely different. And that's because he is seeing with the perspective of victory. It would have been so easy for David to come under that corporate mood. And I see this all the time across churches. I see Christians who come under the corporate mood of either the nation or even sometimes other Christians around them. And the reality is that the bad news is not hard to find. I mean, bad news sells fast because fear sells. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the global rise of far-right politics, or whether it's rising fatherlessness and poverty, whether it's a, a, a global pandemic of coronavirus, whether it's issues of racial justice, like you, you don't have to look far to find the obstacles, to find the challenge, to find the giants. You don't have to look very far at all and it's very easy for us as christians to start speaking or acting or prophesying in response to the corporate mood rather than the sound that's actually coming from heaven we can easily become an echo rather than a voice an echo of culture rather than a prophetic sound of what god wants to say in this moment and of course jesus supremely was aware of what was happening in the heavenlies. In John 5.19 he says very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Jesus could see what the Father was doing. His eyes weren't earthbound, They they were locked into the Father. Father, I only do what I see you doing. My head is in your stratosphere. My head is in heavenly places. I am seeing what you are doing. That's how Jesus lived. That's how he operated on another occasion, while the Pharisees are nitpicking over Sabbath rules, Jesus says to them, listen, I have food to eat that you guys know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. See, Jesus is unaffected by the corporate mood of pessimism. His head is connected to the father. And this is David. This is his awareness, he was prophetically alert. Friends, are you prophetically alert? Are you connected to what God is actually saying rather than just reflecting what culture is saying? Are you hearing from heaven? Are you releasing the sounds of heaven on the earth? And again, when we start to lift up our eyes, we begin to realize that anything is possible. We start to see the opportunities instead of the challenges. You know, the story of the spies being sent in to look at Canaan's land flowing with milk and honey. Ten of the spies could only see the giants. Only Joshua and Caleb could see the land. Only they could see the potential. Are you like a spy or are you like Joshua or Caleb? What is it that you see? Are you a glass half empty person or a glass half full person? It matters a great deal to the kind of people that we're going to be in the earth you know and in this season it's been amazing seeing friends grab hold of opportunities even in the midst of great challenge you know I've said that in the Great Depression in the US there were more millionaires were made in the Great Depression than at any other time in America's history why did that happen because actually in moments of crisis many people spot the opportunities and that is a picture for us of what we're meant to be like in the church while other people see the challenge We're going to see the God opportunities. Father, what are you doing? What are you saying? You know, on our uh, leaders weekend that was cancelled in March because of COVID, one of my friends, instead of just taking the weekend off, he decided to phone 30 leaders around the country and ask how he could help them. And from that has grown a, a massive new charity that is helping churches in our nation. Another one of my friends in America, their church has set up a a new tech um, education center, like a college, a tech college, to train up Christians in the art of digital uh, technology. And now Google and Amazon and YouTube are recruiting first from their tech company based at the church, not just because of their skills, but because of the quality of their character. I tell you, there are opportunities everywhere. If you would just get your head up and ask God, what are you doing? And let me be on that page with you, Father. We've got to be prophetically alert. And then lastly, how do we partner with God in time of promise? Well, we've got to live with a victorious mindset, with a mindset that God actually has set us up to win. He set us up to win. And David and Goliath is so often told as an underdog story. It's the the, the little guy, the shepherd boy against the, the big guy, the trained soldier. And we often tell the story that way about David winning in insurmountable odds. And of course we can tell the story that way. But I would suggest to you that there is another way to tell this story. And the other way to tell the story is to understand that God had completely given David everything he needed to be victorious in this particular situation. He'd set David up for victory. And David enters this scenario with Goliath with absolute confidence that he has been equipped to win. The question is, do you live with the same confidence? Do you live with a victorious mindset? Just think about this story from a different perspective. Firstly, Goliath, the man that David is up against. A man called uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell says of Goliath that it's well likely that he had a condition called giantism, which means that you have excessive hormone growth in your body, which means that your limbs just keep on growing. And there have been many very famous uh, people through history who've had this condition and they've grown excessively tall. One of the side effects of giantism is incredibly poor eyesight, in fact, near blindness. And when we read about Goliath, it says that he was led into the valley by his attendants. Now, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but could he needed to have been led because his eyesight was so poor? On one occasion, it says that Goliath says to David, is that you coming at me with sticks? I mean, I don't know. Was he seeing double? Was he not quite seeing right? What was in David's hand? Was his eyesight so poor? Also, we know this, that Goliath was a hand-to-hand soldier. We know that by the weapons that he is described to have carried. And in Middle Eastern armies, there are three sections of an army. There was your infantry, your hand-to-hand soldiers, there was your cavalry, and then there was your archers or your slingers, those who were trained with a bow and with a sling. And Goliath was almost certainly expecting a hand-to-hand combat with someone who would fight in the same way as he did. And yet, what he encounters is a young boy who is a trained slinger from birth. This is what we know about the Middle East: is that very often the first gift given to a son by a Middle Eastern father was a slingshot, and this, the sons would be taught how to sling a stone, and and fire it with incredible accuracy. And there are reports in the Middle East of fathers who would send their young seven-year-old sons out into the, into the fields, and they were not allowed to come in for food until they'd knocked off bread from a tip of a spear with a stone from their sling at distance. And eventually, these young lads would grow up to be incredibly skilled slingshots. It took far greater training to be good with a sling than it did with a bow and arrow. What we know too, is that a stone thrown from a sling went with the same energy as a bullet fired from a gun. In other words, this thing could maim you, kill you, break bones. This was a serious, serious weapon. And suddenly Goliath, the hand soldier, comes up against David, the expert slingshot. We know too about David, that he'd killed lions and bears. Have you ever thought how difficult it is to kill a lion and a bear? I think killing a giant probably would seem easy in comparison. David is equipped for for victory. We know too that the stones David picked up were from a place called the Valley of Elah. We know from archaeological evidence that stones in that valley are five to eight times more dense than most stones on the planet. In other words, David is not just picking up tiny pebbles, he is picking up dense rocks that when thrown, would literally break a bone. And that's why Goliath gets one stone in the forehead and he is felled, he is gone. He probably would have died on impact. You See, here's the thing, Goliath, David's enemy, David's training and David's experience were all perfectly matched to bring forth victory. And I would suggest to you that we are gonna partner with God in a time of promise. We have to live with a victorious mindset. And I know that in New Zealand, there is this, this tall poppy syndrome where we cut people down if they get anywhere towards any kind of success or or, or advance in their life. And and, and friends, I wanna suggest to you that that kind of a mentality is killing us. We've gotta understand this, that God has equipped us to live courageously humble, but nevertheless equipped us to win. And in this season of pioneering, in this season of advance for you as a church, I want you to think We have been put in this nation to change it, to serve it, to see the kingdom come. You guys could see a nation changed in your lifetime. You see, God doesn't require a massive multitude of people to change a nation. Sometimes all it takes is one courageous shepherd boy who says yes to Jesus. Friends, be that company of people. Be that company of people who courageously and humbly says yes to God and you attempt great things for God. Seize the day, seize the moment, have a mindset of, I have been raised with Christ, not to be an echo, but to be a voice in my generation. Friends, let's believe God for mighty things. So many of the things that we've been asking God for decades, God has already started to do around the earth. And this is a moment to start partnering with him in this day of promise. And friends, I am praying for you that you would know an extraordinary encounter with the Holy Spirit in this season and that you would encounter his goodness and see it spread wherever you go. Amen. God bless you guys.